welcome to Cast Off with Confidence. This episode is brought to you by Pentenius Yacht Insurance. And this episode and the one after is super special. I get to talk to Lisa Blair. I'm talking to her while she's hurtling around Antarctica and she's very close to Cape Horn. She's approaching a storm with a forecast of seven to eight metre waves and possibly up to 50 knot winds. I am super, super excited and privileged on many levels. I've sailed with Lisa before and now I get to talk to her. This video is in two episodes because it's about an hour all up. And first, there's just a short snippet of the ocean to paint a little bit of the picture of what it's like out there. Remember on videos and photos, something about the lens foreshortens the height of these waves so they don't look as big as they actually are. And the first video I'll show you is next to land. But don't forget Lisa's coming up to Cape Horn where the depth significantly decreases. So therefore those waves will grow exponentially. So take a look and I hope you enjoy it. So I'm safely on the land on the east coast of Australia and yesterday I spoke with my friend Lisa Blair who's hurtling around Antarctica heading for Cape Horn and waves bigger than this and they are building because obviously it's shallow but Lisa's going around Cape Horn and going from two nautical miles of depth to 30 metres and this will give you an idea of what water does as big waves hits shallower depth. So while Lisa won't be this close to rocks, she's certainly experiencing waves such as this and actually bigger. So if you're not supporting her, this is why you should be. Have a listen to our podcast soon. Go, Lisa. Oh my goodness, look at the angle you're at. Cool. I know, I thought I'd prop the computer up so it's flat because yesterday I did a Zoom call and I left the computer on the desk and I was like laid over <laughs> on the side and everyone's like, it's super weird. So I was like, I'll try and make myself straight at least. <laughs> so uh -huh. I don't know, I could try the other way if you want. <laughs> no, it's fabulous. It's real. You're looking amazing. I've been, I've just been addicted to the tracker and your blogs. You're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> just superb. And I know oh, you've been tired, you. but you're looking amazing. <laughs> what are your conditions yeah, right thanks. now? Um, so we've got a storm hitting tonight, um, which is going to have uh, the eye of the storm or just the northern part of the eye of the storm hitting the boat, um, you know, around 9, 10 o'clock tonight. So that's going to bring through winds up to like 50 knots. So just on the leading edge of that, um, as you would know, you know, storms are clockwise. I'm in the northeast um, sort of winds at the moment and they're just slowly starting to back to the northwest at the moment. So... I'm trying to get north, uh, which makes it a bit tricky because it means I'm close haul sailing. Um, and 
basically I'm just bashing my way upwind uh, as close to the wind as I can comfortably sail. I'm not dead close hold, I'm sort of close reaching um, and uh, just trying to get enough speed to try and get out of that kind of hot zone before it hits or at least get to the northern part of it so it's not as brutal as what it would be if I was in the southern section of it. So yeah, so that's what I've been trying to do. Yeah, fantastic. And that'll give you a bit of a, a bit more better angle. Is that right? As you have you made that north heading, that'll give you a better angle as it hits as well. Yeah, it'll put me in a better position for the storm. Um, and we've got one storm tonight, another storm tomorrow night, and then another one shortly after, um, just before I round Cape Horn. So we're trying to get north as well for the second storm system coming through um, to, to just try and get on the northern part of that. But uh, if I can't get far enough north, I'll end up having to hove to tonight. So um, the conditions just now, the, the swell's only around four metres, but it's due to build up to eight metres by tonight. Um, so it is going to get quite brutal. Um, and yeah, it's just bleak and cold and wet and it's been raining on and off all night. And um, yeah, loving it. <laughs> loving it. You're still this is my least favorite point of sale. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh. What are you going to do? Self-inflicted. <laughs> Self-inflicted. Oh, I've got so many places to go with that. I did have one question from one of your supporters that I'm interacting with and saying, what has driven you to do this? Why do you take on these challenges? Can you summarise that for us? Um, I don't think there's any one real reason. There's a multiple amount of reasons, but one of the biggest defining factors for me um, you know, if someone had said to me 10 years ago that I'm going to go out and do all of these crazy things, I would have just laughed in their face and just said, no way, there's, it's not possible. You know, I was basic English and math. I'm not very intelligent. I can't spell uh, to save my life. Like I didn't have all the skill sets that we were told growing up that allowed you to be successful or go out and do things. So uh, when I did the Clipper race and I was able to raise the sponsorship and then race around the world, it was kind of like an epiphany moment for me where I realized that um, we're capable of far more than we think. And um, saline's just like the passion element of me expressing what my capabilities are. But every project I do, I come away with that being so much more capable of achieving any goal I set um by going through those journeys so it sort of drives me to then go okay well i'm i'm now here what else can i do that's going to get me to the next step of feeling like i can achieve anything that i want in this world and um i think that's a really big motivator for me and and i think it's a, a massive motivator because it's mostly set on self-perception um and my self-perception shifted when i was successful the first time um, after going through a lot of effort and, and a lot of tears and everything to get there. Um, and so that then, I guess, it, this is my way of sharing that um, sort of experience with other people because hopefully these sort of journeys can, can inspire other people to show them that, you know, we are capable. You can do anything you want. You could just as easily be me on this boat sailing around Antarctica if you so chose to and if you wanted to. Um, you know, there's nothing... You uniquely remarkable about me except determination so um and everyone has that if they choose to take it so absolutely yeah i, I think that's a big motivator and then obviously like the climate 
Yes, yeah. So we'll, we'll touch on that in a moment. You're, you're, you're nailing it as far as inspiring people. You're incredible. And the things you need <laughs> is that, that motivation, that strength to, to carry on, that tenaciousness. And I know you have that in bucket loads. And, and boy, do you need it. Um, and with that, you say you, you, the additional, the climate and uh, working with Bureau of Meteorology. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about that? For this um, project, I was very aware that I'm, I'm sailing in the Southern Ocean. Um, I actually tried to get a lot of the science happening on the first record, um, and I just didn't have enough support and backing at the time. Um, but it's such a data sparse region of our planet. There's very little data that's taken down here. Um, and there's no data that really exists for the whole loop of the Southern Ocean because ships will go to Antarctica and come back or they'll dive down a little bit and deploy some drifter boys, for example, and then come back. But there's, there's none that are really doing that full circle view of what's impacting the Southern Ocean. So um, I basically wanted to make the boat as available as humanly possible to the scientific community to gather and support scientific research on board the boat um, while I'm doing this circumnavigation. So, um, on board, we have a uh, subsea research unit, which is taking sort of ocean health um, data readings. So it's acidity, salinity, um, PCO2, which is how much carbon is trapped in the Southern Ocean. Um, it's sea temperature uh, and just like chlorophyll and that general ocean health reading. So it'll give us a bit of an indicator on um, how the southern ocean is processing carbon which is one of the biggest areas of our ocean to process and filter carbon um, and it's also then going to give us an indication on just the general health in this area because it's such a sensitive kind of biodiversity um, part of our oceans um, and then and I've got the microplastic sampler that I'm running. So I run a sample twice a day. Um, so I run one for 22 hours, which is a 500 micron sample. And it's like a larger mesh um, sort of size sample. And then I run a 100 micron sample, which is a real fine mesh um, for two hours a day um, to try and catch microfibers and microplastics um, in the Southern Ocean. And we expect that we will find um, plastics it's just a, a matter of getting an indication of how much um, and it'll be great to cross-reference against the Volvo Ocean Race um, because they took a microplastic sampler on their last race as well so um, we've got some data there that we can cross-reference with which will be really interesting um, and then <laughs> you know the list goes on um, then I'm deploying um, eight Bureau of Meteorology weather drifter boys um, I've got two Argo research floats on board the boat that I'm also deploying um, and I'm also logging all my depth readings for the seabed 2030 um, depth uh, research and they're creating a map of the seafloor using citizen science so any cruisers and yachties around the world can email the seabed 2030 program and they will actually send you a data logger to put into your network and then you can log all your depths and that'll go into basically an atlas of the sea floor that's getting created by 2030 and it's all going to be run by citizen science so that's pretty cool um, and then we modified a weather drifter boy to become a um, floating weather station on board the boat so my boat pings um, a data back to France actually, to the Bureau of Meteorology in France. And, um, and then that gets fed into the global weather modeling. And when you get a weather forecast, I'm one of those data sets that have been influencing your weather forecasts. So that's also really cool. 
That is really so, yeah, cool. It's yeah. Not yeah, that's so many busy with everything else, and it's just fabulous that you can yeah. you can sort of multitask so much yeah. on this. And, and uh, one of the things for me too is um, it's a big part of it is education. So um, you know, if there's any teachers out there that want me to come and speak at their schools, um, I'm rolling out after the record for six months, um, trying to visit as many schools as possible as a no charge, um, whether it's a Zoom call or an in-person visit. I just want to be able to share my story with as many of these kids coming through. I think it's such an important story for that generation to hear um, and then weave in the science and the science understanding and the plastic and the climate um, in and around that. And we're going to be using all the Canva templates to um, sort of leave the students and leave the teachers with worksheets and activities that they can do, um, you know, once I finish the talk. So, um, yeah, if any teachers that are, are listening to this who want to have that um, happen for their school, just reach out through the website and um, drop us a line. Fantastic. What, what a great thing to, to offer everyone. And I was talking to some people connected in that area yesterday about you. So we'll, have, we'll be talking down the line. But I, I want to talk about you as well. The work you're doing is amazing. But your blogs, if no one's follow, if, if you haven't read them yet, for goodness sake, read them. You do an incredible job. And I was reading them till late last night. And you, one of them you said, Oh, I wondered why the boat was going slow and I looked and we were doing 11 knots. I'm used to this roller coaster now. How do you get used to that? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I know it was pretty funny because normally I'm pretty happy if Climate Action Now is doing like eight knots. Like she does go really fast in the right conditions, don't get me wrong, and I have been going really fast lately. Um, but I, I don't normally push her that much. So I'm normally quite conservative. And, and I guess, you know, where I've been able to let her fly a little bit more, I have um, for this trip. But I was quite surprised that it felt like I was doing five knots and we were doing like 11 knots still. And it felt slow. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you just adapt. Like you're, you live and breathe this environment. Like I, I found <laughs> last time when I got off the boat, um, walking straight lines was difficult because I was so used to walking on an angle and adapting for the roll of the swell that as I would walk, I would kind of do this as I'm walking, thinking I'm going in a straight line, but it was my body just trying to adapt for the swell that I was expecting that I was still on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just... I get so desensitized. It's like me throwing out numbers like, oh yeah, it's a six meter wave or an eight meter wave. Like, you know, to me, it's, it's like, oh yeah, it's another day in the Southern Ocean. But to most people, those are really extreme conditions. So um, yeah, you just adapt. Well done. I think to everyone, they're extreme conditions. You talk about four meter waves, five, six, and then eight meter waves coming. So to put that in context, four meters is over a story. Go and stand by your wall in your house and think about that as a wall of water. That's sort of like the minimum waves you're getting. And that's 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 huge. And you talk about climate yeah. action now being not that's down, it just shakes and come up. How do you shake and come back up? Um, I just brace, <laughs> brace for the impact. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, 
It's an interesting thing. I think the biggest thing with being comfortable in the Southern Ocean on a trip like this is trusting your boat and trusting your skill set. And if you can trust your boat to get you through those conditions, which I definitely do, um, then they're not such a problem. You're not doubting every knockdown. You're not going, oh, is that the knockdown that's going to, you know, cause my mast to come down or cause a situation to occur? Um, and so it, it's... It's always been a very conscious decision of mine to make sure that the boat is impeccably prepared before I go. And I'm always doing a billion and one thousands of different jobs right up until the start line, always, because there's a never ending list. But the key fundamental core safety and structure of the boat is always done to 110%. Um, and I'm always heavily involved in that process myself. And, and that to me, allows me to get that mental attitude where I can just shake off a knockdown where the boat's been masked in the water and I know the mast can take it because David Lamborn did the rigging and I know that the rigging wire is Arcus wire so I know we can take the hits um, and so you know it takes that level of doubt out of the equation and allows you to sort of kind of enjoy the fact that you're going through this wild roller coaster out here. That is one of the benefits. I know how hard you work. I've seen just a small sample of it and how hands-on you are. And that, that is incredibly exhausting and a huge list. But like you say, one of the benefits is you know climate action now inside out. And you've had a lot of upgrades. Are you enjoying those upgrades and improvements? Yeah, I'm actually really happy with how she's performing after this last refit. Um, we've done a lot of the changes that I wanted to do for the first Antarctica record that I didn't have the funding for that weren't critical to the structure of the boat but were going to make life just generally a lot easier and a lot more fluid on board the boat. Um, so we did a lot of those changes this time as well and that's definitely just made life a lot easier. Um, I've increased my fuel consumption, like my fuel carrying capacity, my water capacity, capacity um everything's just more accessible and um easier to get access to um yeah no i'm really happy with it and structurally like we've done so much like we checked where the re i've lost you again lisa i don't know if you can hear me sorry you disappeared it'll get there you're back now you okay go. so you're you both happy yeah you're yeah. great you've done your water tanks and fuel tanks and you seem to be that's uh, very reassuring for you yeah yeah and just like we went over the boat with a fine tooth comb um you know so it was micro details the whole way along and um yeah so it I just know that we had the right team of people working on the boat over in Brisbane at Rivergate Marina there and um you know, that's just given me a lot of confidence and it allows me to then go through these storm conditions and take these punishment um, conditions and, and feel confident that the boat can succeed through them yeah. um, and that my decisions out here are still safe because I know the structure and the integrity of the boat. And how do you balance that, that safety with speed? Because obviously you're going for a record and obviously you're in huge seas You've got the boat, you've got the skill. How's that balancing act working? Yeah, it's a constant rolling um, check-in, I guess you could say. I've got to always be, I guess, asking myself, do I need to prioritise sleep over performance? Do I need to prioritise performance over weather? Do I need to prioritise weather over performance? Like, what's, what's the corresponding factors that are taking place? And, um, you know, some days I've had major losses against Fedor Konyakov's trip, 
Um, and then other days I've just well outstripped him on the on the speed. And I know I don't have to race the whole way around. I just have to do a little bit faster than him. Um, and so that changes the way you kind of approach things because you don't need to go 20 knots the whole time. You only need to go eight and a half knots to his eight and you're going to get the record. So um, what I'm trying to do at the moment and my goal for the Pacific Ocean was to um, get a bit of a buffer in so that if anything does happen or if I have any delays further on in the more dangerous conditions that the South Atlantic will give me and the South Indian will give me, um, that I've got that little bit of a breathing space so that I don't have to push, um, I don't have to stress, and I can just hove to in a storm if I need to and not worry about the fact that Federal was like right behind me or something. Um, so at the moment, I'm a thousand miles ahead of my last position um, from the 2017 record. And that's really the corresponding factor that I'm looking at because when I finished the record last time, I was one day ahead of Fedor Konyakov when I dismastered, so I was beating him then, but I ended up finishing 12 hours behind him if we just deleted the dismasting section. Um, and so I don't need to go a lot faster than my last track to actually break this record. Um, and I know Fedor Konyakov has a few challenges and hurdles coming up in the South um, Atlantic Ocean that he battled. So he had a few major delays there that'll give me a really good lead. So as long as I can stay well ahead of my last track, um, I'm pretty comfortable that I'll be able to break that record. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a balancing act. I think at the moment, um, well, throughout all of it, I've just tried to use that concept of when it's safe to do so, race um and sail fast but i'm still not even sailing the boat within 100 percent of her capacity i'm operating at around 70 or 80 percent at the moment um and when i'm in storm conditions or it's rough then i that goes down to like 50 percent of the boat's performance capabilities um so yeah where it's safe to do so i race and where it's not safe to do so i throttle back and i i go for um safety over speed and i still find i'm, I'm or either matching Fedor's speed or I'm still just ahead of him anyway. So, um, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, fantastic. That's very wise. So with that ana analysing and that balance as you go, do you, do you talk to yourself out loud? Or do you have lonely moments? Because you've got no one to bounce off with physically with you. Yeah, I know. And it is a big part of solo sailing is... Um, you know, coming, I guess, adjusting the way you make decisions because you don't have someone to, like, just soundboard it off. Um, I know when I first solo sailed, I uh, got into a bit of trouble and I had to deploy a drogue and it wasn't until I phoned a friend that I felt comfortable doing that because I'd never done it before and it was my first solo trip. Um, and so sometimes you do need that sounding board. Um, I think now, though, you know, I've got what do I have about 40,000 nautical miles solo sailing experience. Um, so I, I've, I've kind of added up the miles um, and, and built a new routine with how I process or, or strategize things on board. Um, the number one focus for me, 100% always is safety is priority. Um, I run a five second rule. So if anything happens, any emergency takes place on at, at sea or on deck, um, something breaks and I hear, you know, chaos taking place on deck, 
um, I employ a five second rule. So I just take five seconds to stop and think before I make a decision. And um, that allows me to remember things like putting my life jacket on, making sure I'm tethered. Do I need any tools to address that situation? Um, you know, and then go up and assess the situation before I actually run out and, and, and attack it and deal with it. Um, I never ever just like bolt out and run up on deck. And that's the sort of thing that you do see a lot in crude boats is a, a, a rope will snap and a sail will start flapping out of control and everyone just runs up with no life jackets on, no safety tethers. They're in their um, underwear still from being asleep in their bunk or whatever. And, and, and they haven't taken their own safety as a priority in that situation. The sail is not gonna change. It's gonna still flap. Like it's not gonna hurt the sail more to have it flap for a little bit longer for you to take safety as a priority. So I think for me, that's, um, you know, a big uh, plan of attack and, um, and then with decisions like the big storms coming through and things like that, I have my shore manager, Jeff, um, from the um, National Maritime College, and I've got Bob McDavitt, the meteorologist at uh, MetBob. And so they're really good sounding boards. And obviously I run a lot of things past my family as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I might be just the only one on the boat, but I actually have like a pretty big team of people behind me. So. Fantastic. That's that's super important to a message there because if when you do panic and knee jerk reaction, you tend to create another emergency. So that's that's a uh, wise words to share. Yeah. So you're 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 coming up to Cape Horn and a, a relatively narrow thousand kilometres passage, and um, you've got three storms. What preparation are you doing? Anything different with approaching that area and? coinciding with these storms I'm just sort of watching everything really closely at the moment because I'm still sort of eight days or nine days away from Cape Horn but um, it's the, the biggest concerning factor with this approach to Cape Horn is just the swell and coming onto the continental shelf so we've got three big storm fronts coming through, two, one tonight, one tomorrow night, and then another one that's going to sort of be hanging around the horn for a couple of days, bringing 30 to 35 knot westerly to southwest winds. So that's going to generate swell. That's going to build up quite a lot of sea state, big waves. Um, and the problem with the approaches to Cape Horn is the depth of the ocean changes from five kilometres to 30 metres as you come onto that continental shelf. And yeah and it's massive and if you're thinking that i've got a six or eight meter wave in five kilometer deep water that six or eight meter wave is going to double in size at least as it hits shallow water um so that's really the only thing that i'm focused on at the moment is the the waves the wind's not too much of an issue at this point because of the direction of the wind um if it was a northerly wind coming through, then I would be more concerned about the wind because you can get uh, the catabatic winds off the mountains, off the coast of Chile. So they're so big that gravity effectively accelerates the wind as it falls down the mountain. Um, and you can end up getting like 200 kilometer hour winds just like bam, out of nowhere, just strike the boat. Um, so because the winds are east, uh, sorry, westerly to southwest, um, I won't be getting necessarily those catabatic winds, but I will be getting really big seas, messy seas. Um, so that's just going to have to be something that I nurse the boat through. And I'll be reducing my sail area, potentially require putting the deployment of a drogue out. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to sort of play that by ear. But um, 
Other than that, the winds follow me around Cape Horn quite nicely at this point, so I'm quite happy with that. Um, I'm expecting the storm may move off a little bit earlier as well or push a little bit further to the south, um, which would then uh, ease the conditions on the approaches to Cape Horn. But um, the situation is quite fluid at the moment with the weather patterns. They're changing quite frequently um, as these two storm cells coming through tonight and tomorrow night. And then the next one, um, they all sort of influence each other and kind of change and, and sort of shift on a daily basis. So um, hopefully the conditions ease off just enough to make a safe rounding. Mm, yeah, a lot to consider. And um, if, if anyone's listening and you haven't looked at Lisa's tracker, it's fantastic. It's got the wind, the direction, the strength and her track and her competitor's track and her previous track. And it's, it's addictive. Um, Lisa Blair says, well, I'll take a look. <laughs> <laughs> what about icebergs? Are they coming into play at the moment? Yeah, so Jeff's um, and his partner, Sue, they've been brilliant in talking with a company called Seacore. Um, so Seacore supported the project last time. They've jumped on board again this time for iceberg forecasting. Um, so we'll be getting the first forecast just on the approaches to Cape Horn, um, which will show me the iceberg movement around Cape Horn um, to sort of South Georgia Island. And then we'll get another forecast after South Georgia Island for that next section of the Atlantic. Um, so at the moment, they're not a risk. We've just been told that there's no icebergs in my region where I am at present, um, but potentially on the approaches to Cape Horn for sure. Um, the Antarctic Peninsula sort of falls on the eastern side of Cape Horn, so the majority of the icebergs end up drifting with the currents towards the east. So more of the iceberg risk is going to be in that first two weeks after um, my rounding of Cape Horn. Uh, than, than the pre-rounding of Cape Horn. So um, the strategy there is basically get north as quick as possible. Um, so go straight up to the Falkland Islands and then go north up right up to my sort of 45 degree south line um, and then stay there until I clear the iceberg debris area, um, giving myself a really good safe clearance. Um, so with these forecasts, I can see any iceberg that's 150 metres in size or larger. Um, and the general rule of thumb is that for every iceberg that's um, known or that we can see, there's up to 50 unknown icebergs within a 200 nautical mile range of that, that one known iceberg. So what I tend to do is just set exclusion zones. So I, um, I route myself well outside 200 miles from every known iceberg with the intention that I don't see an iceberg at all um, because I'm in a fiberglass boat. It would be a bad scenario. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and, and last record, I actually ended up sailing within 150 miles of a known iceberg because I had to void the world record to get further north um, because they had travelled so far north that year. So, um, you know, hopefully I don't see them. Hopefully they stay well south this year. But given that there's that big piece of ice broke off the shelf um, and has headed towards South Georgia Island, I'm expecting that there's a larger debris area of icebergs this year um, than there was five years ago when I sailed around and especially the effects of climate change um, taking place as well. So um, fingers crossed. But yeah, unfortunately, when you get iceberg regions as well, you tend to get heavy fog. Um, so it's really cold sea temperatures with the warmer air temperature. So you get a sea fog um, or infection fog. And that fog means that I can't see the iceberg. So you can't end up flying blind using your radar and your sea temperature 
to um, sort of monitor for icebergs. But yeah, that that um, iceberg forecast from Seacor is fundamental to the safety of getting through those areas. That's quite something, having to add that into the mix of everything else. And I'm, I'm very happy to hear about exclusion zones. Um, yeah. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. That's part one. Part two will be coming tomorrow. Well, Lisa will talk more about how she deals with the cold and also about the difference between the South Pacific and moving into other oceans as per the Atlantic. And the difference is there. She talks about how so far it's an easy ride and she expects it to get a lot harder. So tune in and join us for the second episode. And in the meantime, head on over to lisablairsalestheworld.com, get on the tracker, follow her, support her however you can, even if it's just likes or shares or right up to collaborating with others and buying a degree as a sponsor of a degree. I'm super excited to see when she crosses our longitude line. Also have a look at sistershiptraining.com. We've got lots more podcasts and videos and video podcasts. So take a look and say good day. In the meantime, I wish you safe. Sir.